So what we've been doing in stepping our way through Matthew's gospel is uh, we've been looking at places where he says something about prayer. Either um, there's an example of someone praying or teaching about prayer and so on. And so we are now going to look at uh, the very last uh, incident or event uh, in Matthew's Gospel that has to do with prayer. And uh, this time, it is actually, again, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, who is the example of one praying. Uh, we saw um, in the last two Wednesday nights, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just prior to his arrest, and he is praying uh, that if uh, it be possible that this cup, uh, this uh, event that he knew was coming, if it w- could pass from him, he asks the Father for that, but he yields to his will. And then we also saw Jesus teaching us as his disciples uh, about the need to watch and pray that we not enter into temptation, uh, because though our spirit is willing Our flesh is weak, and so uh, Jesus gives that admonition. But also that was his his own example, right? Because he was watching and he was praying even in that that great hour of uh, testing uh, that was upon him. So Jesus, of course, is arrested and he's taken to um, the high priest's house or palace and and uh, he is. Uh, there are various interrogations there. Uh, when you harmonize the Gospels, um, he appears before uh, um, Caiaphas's father-in-law, I believe it is, uh, Annas, and then he appears separately before Caiaphas, and uh, so on. So uh, we aren't going to look at all of those details. Ultimately, the next day, of course, uh, he comes and appears before Pilate. And Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod sends him back to Pilate. Uh, Matthew doesn't give us all of those details, but again, the other Gospels do. But of course, what we know is that in the end, uh, Pilate uh, delivers him to the will of the Jewish people, and he is crucified. So let's notice, starting at verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, uh, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. So that's 12 noon is the sixth hour uh, to three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness. And about the ninth hour, here we have this example of his prayer. Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. We'll stop there. So here we have this um, record, again, one of the four accounts in the Gospels of uh, the death of the Lord Jesus. Three days later, of course, he rose from the dead. And the Bible teaches us that all of this was done as a sacrifice for our sin. And, you know, it took us how long to read that? Right, just a few minutes to read that account. And so in that few minutes, again, reading verses, words that are fairly familiar to us, right? Um, we don't have any idea right, of what it is that he truly experienced. The physical agony would be one thing, right? But then beyond that, even that which is the subject of his prayer here that Matthew records, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, so here we have Jesus raising this cry to his father uh, and questioning uh, this forsaking of him. Now on one level, Jesus fully understood what he was experiencing, right? And knew why it was happening and knew where it would end, right? Because he's God. He's God the Son. Taken human flesh, yes, but he is God. And so he knew exactly uh, where uh, this was all going to come out. He knew, uh, though he obviously had never experienced that forsakenness by the Father ever, uh, 
and never will again. But so there was some there in, in an experiential way that he didn't know. Um, but uh, he certainly knew the reason behind it all, right? And uh, yet this is the cry of his heart. And I think um, we do find in this an example because there may be, again, not at all on the same level, but there may be times in our experience when it seems as if God has forsaken us. And I think we can say that with some certainty because the words of his prayer are actually words of David. Right? He's quoting Psalm 22. So let's go back to Psalm 22 and let's take a look at that psalm. And as we do so, uh, what you are going to find is that this is not the only part of Psalm 22 that is quoted in Matthew 27. I did not, on purpose, um, point those occasions out. Uh, but as we read through Psalm 22, I'm sure that you will recognize uh, those times. Uh, the very first verse is the verse that Jesus uses as part of his prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And let's keep reading. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not. And in the night season... And am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So that was quoted in Matthew. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear me. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Now, as I mentioned, this is a psalm of David. And uh, very, very clearly uh, what we would refer to as a messianic psalm. In other words, it does tell us much about the Messiah. Uh, his hands and his feet pierced, um, the uh, casting lots for his garments and so on, uh, the taunting and mocking. Uh, he trusted in God, let him deliver him, uh, seeing he delighted him in him and so on, right? So there, and of course, verse one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So very, very much uh, a messianic psalm. But, It's interesting, there are some things that suggest that this, though obviously the the epitome of this experience is Jesus, right? So in other words, he is for sure the fulfillment of of it and and, and really in terms of the experiencing of this, uh, he to, to the greatest degree is the one that experienced it. But notice, for example, in verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. So there is, and again, perhaps David's personal testimony of an instance where he was feeling very much forsaken and cry in the daytime, cry in the nighttime. Right? So that obviously goes beyond what we know to be Jesus' experience uh, and is suggestive that at least uh, 
a measure of this kind of thing can be experienced by the Lord's people. And of course, he also mentions in verse 4 and following, the fathers that trusted in the Lord, uh, they cried and were delivered. And so the implication is that their cry was similar to David's cry or Jesus' cry. You know, this idea of the forsakenness that they seemed to be experiencing. Um, And of course, uh, the testimony of them, the fathers, is, notice verse 4, our fathers, notice what's emphasized here, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and you did deliver him. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you. And we're not confounded. So three times that idea of trust uh, is mentioned there. And then um, uh, even uh, what what we see happening then in the end is uh, the psalmist comes to the place where he says, uh, verse 21 Save me from the lion's mouth. And then he says, For you have heard me. Right? Uh, and so, and starting at verse 22, you have quite a shift, right? And it's no longer the, the, the cry of one forsaken, but it's now the praise of one answered. Right? And so he says, I will declare your name to my brethren, which, by the way, is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. Keep your finger in Psalm 22, but let's jump forward just briefly uh, to Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> Again, a passage that is teaching us about the Lord Jesus, um, but very, very interesting. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so uh, let's start at verse 9, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And of course, that's what he's doing when he's forsaken of the Father, right? He is being a sacrifice for sin, tasting death, the penalty for sin, and he's doing it for us, right? Um, And then verse 10 goes on. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory which is what Christ was accomplishing on the cross, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctified and they who who are sanctified, sorry, he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, here's the quotation from Psalm 22, 
I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto you. And then he goes on from there, right? So, so that passage, even as it's talking about the suffering of Christ and the purpose of that suffering, bringing many sons to glory, right? Uh, quotes from Psalm 22. And what is quoted there, of course, is um, this identification with us, right? His identification with us. He's calling us his brothers, right? And uh, Hebrews 2 is making a very big deal of that because he's trying to encourage us in the midst of our trials and our sufferings to know that we have one who knows us, right? And knows what we have experienced, right? So back to Psalm 22, uh, where we have this shift, verse 22, right, is what was quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. And so he goes on, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise you, and so on. And then verse 24, he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. Okay. So, so when the Lord Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, he is putting voice to really the awfulness of what he experienced when he became a sacrifice for sin. But what's interesting is that he's raising his voice to God, right? His father. He's talking to his father about it. He's putting even that despair, if you will, or that, that heart cry of forsakenness, he's putting it in words, not to anyone else, except the bystanders, of course, heard it, but he's talking to God. This is an example of prayer, right? And of course, where Psalm 22 is telling us there in verse 24, what happened? What was the result? God heard him. Right? God the Father heard him. Now, after that cry on the cross, there are three other statements that the Lord Jesus makes. The first is, I thirst. And in response to that, Matthew records, Matthew doesn't record the cry. He doesn't record the others either. But in response to that, someone gives him that drink of vinegar. And what's very interesting, Psalm 22, verse 15 says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Right? And so, you know, that agony of thirst there on the cross as he's losing bodily fluid and so on. So he asks for, or he expresses his thirst. Someone gives him something to drink. That gives him enough uh, looseness in his mouth, as it were. Uh, and he cries with a loud voice, It is finished. And then what's the last cry from the cross? The saying from the cross. What's the last one? Just before he gives up his spirit. Father, 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. The forgive one is the first cry, right? But the last one, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. And the Father receives his spirit, right? Because he committed his spirit to the Father. So the Father heard him. There's the evidence that the Father heard him. He is no longer forsaken of the Father, right? The Father is there to help him in the end, right? And so Psalm 23 really gives us that, uh, a fuller expression of that, right? Because from verse 22 down to the end, you have this wonderful uh, testimony of praise to God uh, and really... um, the anticipation of many others coming to know God and to worship God and to trust in the Lord. And even the testimony given to to generations, to people that had not been born, tell them that God did this. And so very, very interesting. God forsook God, but only for a short while, relatively speaking. Right, only for a short while. And all of it done so that we would not have to be forsaken for eternity. You have the infinite Son of God and even for a moment to be forsaken by the Father. Right, Unthinkable, awful experience. Right? This one being, three persons, yet one of them forsaken, we can't comprehend fully. But Jesus experienced that, and God the Father was part of that, and they did it so that we might be saved. That we would not have to be eternally separated from God the Father, which is what we would have, right? If we are not saved, if we are yet in our sins, if we do not trust Jesus as our Savior, uh, we will die the second death, cast into the lake of fire, and we are separated from life, from God for all of eternity, right? So it's a remarkable thing. Uh, God, forsaken by God, And yet, God the Son still trusting, right? Still trusting, even in the midst of that time that it seemed to be forsaken, where he seemed to be forsaken and he was forsaken, still trusting. And in the end, he could commit his spirit uh, to his Father and uh, he could rejoice. And he could declare the Father's name unto his brethren. Right, Because when he rose from the dead, that's exactly what he did. To declare the Father's name unto his brethren. And so may the Lord use this example. Again, it's an example that we cannot fully comprehend. And yet we can understand that feeling to a degree right, of being forsaken. Right? When the way is so hard and our enemies seem so strong 
and people that are sinning against us seem to have the upper hand or whatever it is, right? Um, we may feel as if we are forsaken by God. So let us talk to him about it. And let's open our Bibles and read maybe a Psalm 22. And may we be encouraged right, that God will hear. Right? He will hear. He heard the Son. And uh, he will hear us too.